Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Romans Bible Study. I'm Jack Baca, pastor at the Village Church, and this is the seventh study in our series of studies this winter and spring. We are going to be looking at Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through chapter 7, verse 6. So be sure you have your Bible handy with you. It's a joy to welcome you to this study today. So far in Paul's letter to the Romans, we have been looking about, uh, looking at his uh, discussion of the human condition. We've been looking at the fact that human beings do not live up to the image of who we were created to be, the image of Christ, but God in his mercy and his wisdom and his grace has offered us forgiveness of sin and the opportunity for new life. Paul has been talking about how Abraham is a wonderful example or a wonderful story for us to look at from the Old Testament, how Abraham's faith in God is what established his relationship with God. Of course, that relationship is made possible first and only because God offers the relationship to us, but then, of course, we must respond to that. Abraham was a good example of that. Paul has been talking about the fact that it is not by our fulfilling the law of God, by our becoming righteous, that God offers us his grace. No, God offers us his grace first and foremost. Because of that relationship then that we have with God, we are at peace with God. We no longer need to worry that God is ready to condemn us or to judge us to eternal punishment or to terrible things in this life. No, we have a relationship with God that he has made possible. Therefore, we have peace with God. That peace leads to confidence in the way that we live. Confidence translates into hope that takes us through adversity, and all of this comes through our knowledge of and our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul talks about the fact that Adam is something in a sense that we might say is the prototypical human being without God, that Adam chose to live without God in his life. But Christ now is the new prototypical human being. In Christ, we see someone who lives with God in obedience to God. And in Christ, you and I can have that same relationship. Now, all of that is background then to the next section of Romans that we're going to look at. So let's read the first 14 verses of chapter 6. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be, re be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, a question arises that Paul asks, and probably was a question that he was being asked by others who were trying to understand this whole business of our relationship with God through grace and not through what we might call works righteousness. The question is this, should not human beings sin a whole lot more so that God has a chance to demonstrate, demonstrate his grace a whole lot more? Wouldn't that be great if we would say, wow, let's, let's make God look good by doing all the bad we can possibly do so God can forgive us. No, 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 that's all wrong, Paul says. Our relationship with God through grace does not lead us to even more sin because we have died to sin. That's a very, very important distinction that we must understand and the way that Paul looks at and the way that Christians look at at our life with Jesus Christ. In his death on the cross, Christ was paying for our sin. Christ was suffering the consequence of sin. Christ, in his resurrection, was saying to us that sin no longer has power over us. And we, as we believe in Christ, then participate with Christ in that death to sin. Christ, of course, was resurrected to eternal life and to eternal glory. Sin was killed off, if you will. And we, when we have faith in God's grace and in Christ's death for us and his resurrection to eternal life, we are saying that we believe that sin no longer has the power to condemn us, to destroy us, or to control us. Paul brings in a discussion of baptism here. That's a very important thing for us to understand. Baptism is being washed of our sins. They are washed away. Baptism is being buried into the water and then resurrected up out of the water, just as Christ was buried and resurrected. In that burial, we are buried to an old way of life. That life is gone now. We are resurrected to an eternal kind of life. That's how we are spiritually, vicariously, if you will, able to identify with Christ, able to participate with Christ in the life that he lived, the death that he lived, the resurrection that he lived. We are now made into new creatures because we understand this love that God has offered to us, and we have willingly entered into that life of love and relationship with God. Christians, therefore, are different. We are meant to act differently. We are meant to live differently because we believe differently. We know differently. The new life in Christ that we have means that we can begin to live a different kind of life. Notice that Paul says, therefore, 
Therefore, there are real consequences when someone comes to real faith in Jesus Christ. Sin no longer has power over us. Now, of course, that does not mean that we are not tempted to sin, but it means that we know that sin does not have to control us and that we have the love of God to lead us into lives that move progressively further and further away from sin. Let's continue on. Romans 6, verses 15 to 23. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you now are ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul begins to move into a conversation about what Christian life is actually all about. He uses wonderful terms like grace and sin and bondage, but we have to understand them carefully. You see, another question arises. Paul asks the question. Certainly it was a question that was asked of him many times. The question goes like this, Paul, if we're covered by grace, then that means we don't need to worry about sinning, right? We can go ahead and sin freely as much as we want to because God's going to forgive us anyway. Paul says again, no, no, no. God's grace welcomes us into a relationship with him, a relationship that is conditioned and determined and informed by him, and it's infused with the power of his spirit. We no longer try to fulfill the law. We no longer try to discover the beauty and goodness of life and all of the weird and crazy things that life offers. No, we discover the goodness and beauty of life, and we live out that goodness and beauty of life as we follow Christ. Paul sees a human being without God as being bonded to, enslaved to, our own thoughts, our own passions, our own desires, our own way of trying to construct heaven. And that does not work. That is the way of death. Death in this life, meaning dysfunctional life, and then also death in eternal life because we have not had a relationship with God. No, rather, Paul says, rather than being bound to our futile ways of living, we now are bound to something else. And Paul literally does use the term enslaved. 
Now that term is is politically and, and somewhat culturally loaded today. I understand that. But what Paul means to say is that that, that we are in a, a, a tight relationship with God. And we say to God, God, you're, you're in control. You are the one who determines what life is all about. You are the one and the only one, frankly, that we can trust to love us so much that in our bondage to you, we find our highest good and our highest freedom. Paul would never say that we should be bound or enslaved to someone else other than the Lord and creator of the whole universe whom we know in Jesus, the Jesus who gave himself for us and in whom we follow. And as we follow, we find true freedom, freedom to be who we were meant to be. You see, human beings are never completely free. We either must choose to be bound to ourselves, and some people consider that to be freedom. I want to be free to do whatever I want to do. Well, I understand the attraction of that. And certainly in in the way we organize ourselves politically and socially and culturally, we should not be bound in slavery to anybody. But Being bound to ourselves means that we are bound to our imperfection. We are enslaved to to our own way of thinking and doing in the world, and, and, and that's not good. The only way to find the freedom that we're meant to have is to learn who we are meant to be, and that comes in from outside of us. It's not inside of us. It comes from outside of us in a relationship with God and in learning God's way of doing things. You see, the human way of doing things is is selfish. It's self-centered. It's all about me. It's all about what I happen to think or feel at the moment. It's all about our misguided conceptions of, of the way the world is and the way we're meant to be. We need a higher law. We need deeper wisdom. We need something that's beyond us, and that something is available to us in the love of God. And so slavery to sin, slavery even to our own sinful selves, does not work in this world. The only way that Paul says we can find freedom, true freedom, is the freedom of obedience to Christ. Now that may sound strange to you. How can you be free if you're obedient to something? Well, this is part of the paradoxical nature, part of the mystical nature of Christian faith. It's only as we get back to a relationship with our Creator and let Him be God that we actually find the true life we're meant to have. Paul is thinking here in some sense about Genesis and the story of Genesis that that God creates Adam and even says, here's the garden. Here's my garden. You get to live in my garden. It's your garden too. Let's love each other and have a great time. And then Adam and Eve say, no, we want to do it our own way. And it's all downhill from there. A relationship with Christ leads us back to a relationship with God. A relationship in which we can can begin to live in the reality of the Garden of Eden in perfection. Let's keep going. The first six verses then of chapter 7. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only during that person's lifetime? 
Thus, a married woman is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is discharged from the law concerning the husband. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. In the same way, my friends, you have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we are slaves not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. Okay, Paul is continuing to help us understand this new relationship that we have that, that does not excuse or set aside the law, but, but transcends the law. And he wants to talk about how Christ's death releases us from the power of the law. And by the power of the law, he means from our our requirement, the need to fulfill perfection, to be absolutely perfect, to be like God in some sense. We can't do it, of course. And so Paul moves to an analogy from his time, the analogy of marriage. And when one of the two uh, members in that marriage dies, that releases the other from marriage vows. Now, this is not a discussion about marriage and divorce and all that kind of thing. Paul lived in a, in a society where things were pretty cut and dried about those things, especially in the Jewish world. What Paul means to say is that our, our, uh, our slavery, our, our bondage, our commitment, our covenant to another person is ended when that person dies. We have died to our relationship to the law. We have died through Christ's death, if you will. We are released now for a new form of relationship, a relationship with God. We are bound to that relationship. We can belong to God now that we don't have to belong to sin. It's a complicated argument, one perhaps that's hard to get our heads wrapped around, but, but it's important to understand and it's especially important in terms of the law. Now, Paul will go on to say, and this is coming from part of Christian theology that's expressed all throughout the New Testament and beyond. Does this mean that we do not have to fulfill the law? No. It means that we cannot fulfill the law, and we use the law as a guide to our relationship, but it's not the basis of our relationship. That's an important thing to understand. The, the Ten Commandments is, is not null and void because of our relationship with God through grace. No, that's not what it is. The Ten Commandments are a, a gracious expression by God to teach us how life is meant to be lived. And God knows that we're going to fail in that sometimes. But regardless of our failure, God still love us, loves us. We still have a relationship with God. In fact, it's only as we begin to experience God's love, God's grace, God's power, because we now can turn to God and we don't have to run away from God because of our shame and our fear. As we can turn to God, then we can be filled with God's power so that we actually fulfill the law. That's what Paul 
is trying to say. And this is what Paul is trying to say as he talks about the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit. Paul is not so much thinking about flesh as life in this world or life in this body versus spiritual life later on. That's really not what Paul is talking about. When he uses the term flesh, Paul is talking about the old way, before we knew the grace and love of God in Jesus Christ. And life in the Spirit now is the new way, as we know life with God that's based on love. Paul will talk more about those things, and we'll have to study more of those things, but I want you to ponder all of the things that I've said. Go back and read Paul's argument. It's a very tightly argue, argued uh, uh, statement. It is, it is very complex, and you need to follow it very carefully, but I know that as you continue to read, as you continue to study, as you continue to pray, that God will open up his truth to you in all of that. So let me leave you with just a couple of questions. Think about this fact that that you do not have to serve your own limited ends and means because you serve a God who in that serving offers you a brand new life that's full of joy and love and peace and hope. God offers you that because he loves you. Remember that always, even in the midst of your questions and concerns, remember always that God loves you. I look forward to seeing you again. God bless.